I'm Adam Epstein, and I'm a dirty moderate. Dirty moderates, day after the first hearings. Yeah. I think uh, Americans are pretty sober today here on this, uh, on this Friday. If you think about it, right, everybody had seen or watched or clearly heard of this attack on the Capitol. You know, I think the majority of us sat there in disbelief. And for the past year and a half, you know, this January 6th committee has been laboring diligently, the House Select Committee, uh, Benny Thompson, Liz Cheney, and their colleagues to um, see the truth well out in some way, to, to unearth evidence that we didn't know before. And boy, did they ever. I mean, I want to go back to 2016, actually early 2017, when Trump had first taken power and his then flack spokesperson, the uh, woman call her Kellyanne Conway, I don't really have a name for her. She introduced a term into the vernacular, the lexicon, that I think set the stage for the entire grotesque Trump era, the, the cesspool of lies, deceit, betrayal, all of which I believe have culminated in this insurrection and have kept the scourge of Trump as a malign. You may remember she told Chuck Todd that there was something called alternative facts. Right. She used that word on Meet the Press. Alternative facts to Chuck Todd's disbelief, and I think the majority of people watching said, well, no, no, uh, Kellyanne, uh, there are facts and there are opinions. You know, there are empirical truths, right? The sky is blue when it's clear and the sun does set to the west, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. She said, no, there are a set of alternative facts. And I think you can draw a direct line from that to being told in the wake of the only attack on the cradle of our democracy, the Capitol building in this country's history from within, okay, not the British in 1812, but from within, we heard terms like it was a tourist visit, one congressman said, Representative Clyde. Another person or another group of uh, Congress folk would refer to it as, what well, was referred to as legitimate political discourse. And then that was repeated. So draw a line, right? Alternative facts. 2017, 2020, and 2021, legitimate political discourse, a tourist visit. Now, last night, Liz Cheney spoke about Donald Trump's lighting of the flame, right? That this insurrection was a Trump surrection, a word I proudly coined. But what 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 was in this plan exactly? We know it was a coordinated conspiracy. We know now that. It was much wider and deeper than we probably already thought. We know that Mike Pence was the acting president on January 6th for Trump's, because of Trump's incapacitation and because he had to take charge. We know a lot of things. But what was behind this plan? And before I go through it beat by beat to summarize it for you, why are we here? We're here because a malignant, unfit, narcissistic maniac who doesn't know how to be told no, and if he doesn't get his way, implodes, was defeated for re-election by Joe Biden. Donald Trump lost and became his worst nightmare, a one-term president. And like everything else with Trump, he will not accept anything that doesn't suit his vision of the world. 
even if the vision of the world contains empirical truth, like that there was the freest and fairest election, and that Joe Biden won um, by seven and a half million more popular votes, and that Joe Biden beat him in the Electoral College by turning Arizona and Georgia blue, and then uh, reclaiming the blue wall, the famous blue wall that Hillary lost, the Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Michigan. We're here because Trump lost and he can't take it, can't accept it. That doesn't mean it's any less dire. That doesn't mean it's any less autocratic. It doesn't mean democracy gets any less soil, but that's why we're here. You heard Liz Cheney, and I thought it was the line of the night, say to my GOP colleagues, these are her words, one day Donald Trump will be gone and your dishonor will remain. And folks, one of the things that has mystified me, of course, enraged me, saddened me, infuriated me, but also has mystified me to this day. Trump was defeated and we're still living with this. He didn't go away. But let's go back. That Trump could win in 2016 at all, miraculously. I know Hillary was a bad candidate. I know she didn't campaign, but my God, Donald Trump. But then after all this, he could win more votes. People could double down on him. And most seditiously, and um, I would argue odiously, the Republican Party, for the most part, remains in his grip, in his stranglehold for Donald John Trump. I mean, full-on cult of personality. No two dictators are alike or would-be dictators. Obviously, Mao Zedong is different than Joseph Stalin, who's different than Pol Pot in Cambodia, who's different than Adolf Hitler, who's different than Il Duce in Italy. But as we know, with strongmen, they don't like to go down. And they create a cult of personality that is their bedrock, right? So that they kind of can't go down because the people keep lifting them up. And the party of Lincoln, the party that was formed in 1854 to thwart the expansion of slavery, okay, in new states, new territories, party that Abe Lincoln staked the union for, almost lost re-election for, party that did not want to tolerate the subjugation and imprisonment of human beings anymore as property. A party which had to deal with a secessionist group of states that formed their own country, the Confederate uh, States of America, CSA. They had their own president, Jefferson Davis. That was the Republican Party that fought that. The party that then tried to make Reconstruction happen. I'm not making them too haloed. I'm just saying that that was what they did in history. When the Democrats got in bed with the Klan, presidents like Ulysses S. Grant went after the Klan, created a Department of Justice, right? Teddy Roosevelt, all those years later, was a trust-busting environmentalist who believed in the good of people, who saw that, you know, no checks on power was not good, be it big industry or anything else. And we needed food safety laws and to end child labor and et cetera, et cetera. The man who commanded the world to victory over Hitler, and in Western Europe, Dwight David Eisenhower, who then chose to enter electoral politics, ran as a Republican and served two terms, two landslides, being a steward, right? Not our first steward, but after Harry Truman, a steward through a very new post-war world. That was the Republican Party. It goes on and on and on. And you can start quibbling over who was good and who wasn't, and then we get to Nixon and Ford and Reagan and the Bushes. My point is, 
there were people that we disagree with. There were people that we despise. There were people that we, well, I shouldn't say despise, there were people that we really did not agree with and we abhorred their politics, but they weren't working against the country. And I know here at this podcast, you hear me say it all the time, we fight like hell for democracy, but there's a reason. There's a reason because Trump may be symptomatic of it, but, but since he took power, since he became the 45th president, I mean, even, of course, when he came down that escalator and spoke about Mexicans coming across the border being rapists and drug dealers, et cetera. But time he was inaugurated as the 45th president of the United States, till now, okay, almost two years after he was ejected from office, Trump and Trumpism remain the greatest single threat to this democracy. And that has many tentacles. It has the conspiratorial uh, gathering of people at the Capitol, of course, on January 6th, backed by his allies, backed by his rhetoric, inflamed by his voice, by his admonition to take the country back. Okay? If you think about all this stuff, all of the afterflow of that, where Republicans in many state legislatures know that if they want to win, because they are a minority party, but structurally the Electoral College kind of benefits them and the gerrymandering of state legislatures benefits them and the House of Representatives, et cetera, et cetera, they have to install loyalists at local and state levels to, to rig it. That's the irony. All their projection about electoral fraud is what they will be willing to commit to perpetrate in the name of craven raw power. Sure, it amounts to an authoritarian takeover, but a lot of it isn't ideological. It's power-driven. Yep, it's rooted in fear. It's rooted in white panic. It's rooted in, in, in resentment, white grievance, but it's also, it's also about power which makes it even more noxious, which makes it even more vile, which should turn your stomach every bit as much, if not more, than the fact that Caroline Edwards, the first officer injured in the line of duty during the Capitol riot, she testified last night, 31-year-old from a military family, spoke of the spilling of blood, the vomiting, the pepper spray. She'd never seen anything like that. Is Trump the first U.S. president to become a domestic terrorist? How do the Democrats capitalize on this, right, this narrative and get the message right? How do they make the fight for democracy, which sounds vague and generalized and kind of weirdly noble, or kind of, I should say, awkwardly noble, maybe? How do they get that to drown out the, the noise of the Republicans' stigmatizing of the Democrats, the maligning of the Biden administration, the inflation, the gas prices? All those things are real. We're up against it, folks. How do we make this matter? I wrestle with it all the time. You know, the inflation report or consumer confidence report today, rather, average families paying $460 more per month, $460 a month more in their groceries, their goods, their, their home, their monthly bills. Bad. Not the Democrats' fault, but it's bad. But 20 million people, according to Nielsen, between ABC or among ABC, NBC, MSNBC, CNN, uh, the big three in the cable networks, 20 million people roughly saw this compelling testimony. And it was elegant. It was powerful. It was haunting. It was sad. It was harrowing. But you got to keep it simple, stupid. 
That's the message. Now I want to like recap what Liz Cheney meant when she said that there was a seven part plan to overturn the 2020 election. Because this morning I got up and I wanted to absorb it. I reacted in live time last night. By the way, thanks for joining me on live Twitter, uh, Dirty Moderates live Twitter. We will continue to do it through all the hearings. Thank you for engaging and commenting and watching it through our feed and allowing us and me to, to weigh in on this inflection point. It's more than inflection point, but let's just call it an inflection point of democracy. Okay. Liz Cheney spoke of a seven-part plan to overturn the election in 2020. Okay. What was that? Well, part one, Trump aggressively and regularly was a lot was lying, right? He was lying to the public, claiming the election was stolen, right? He even said that if he lost prior to the election, that it would be stolen. He said, he actually said that in 2016. In 2020, he did lose and he, and he perpetuated the lie. Okay. Now, what else? The corruption of justice, the corruption of the Justice Department. This is the second part. Trump sought to replace, let's refresh everybody's memory, the acting attorney general at the time he did with a loyalist because he needed to have the Department of Justice as a weapon in his, in his arsenal. Because he had to have the weight of the law behind him to enforce the lies. Okay? All right. What else? Well, Trump wanted Pence. We know he wanted him hanged, but before he turned on him, he wanted him to commit this act of treason and corruption and pressured him to violate his constitutional oath. I mean, Trump has long violated his own, has have the people who have backed him. But he wanted Pence to violate his own oath and refuse to count the certified electoral votes on January 6th. That was the day of the riot, day of the insurrection, day of the sedition, which was also the day that Congress was going to convene to certify the free and fair win of Joseph Robinette Biden Jr. as president of the United States, 46th president of the United States. Okay. Trump also, let's add to that, was improperly and illegally, as he does with everything, pressuring all these officials at different levels, state election levels, and legislators to change their state's election results and undermine the will of voters. Yeah, he was, he was remember? What did he say in Georgia? Give me that 11,000 plus votes, 11,700 votes, whatever it was. Give it to me, Raffensperger, who, by the way, has resisted Trump's uh, attempt to destroy him in the recent Georgia primary. But that's what he was doing. Trump's team and his lawyers told we're telling Republicans across the country to manufacture fake slates of electors. This is what this plan is that Liz Cheney was referring to. Okay. It, it, Trump's team and his lawyers were telling Republicans across the country to make up fake slates, right? Come up with a fake slate of electors, make them up, literally, and send those fake elector slates to Congress for certification, which would then end up in the National Archives which is the permanent rep. That's what they were trying to do, right? Because the GOP wants every seat to be full of loyalists to Trump. Every one of them. That's how authoritarianism works. It's solidarity. It's the cohesion of power. It's the undermining of democracy by full coordination from the strong man and his henchmen, his followers, and his winning and unwitting supporters. Okay. Trump summoned obviously, and then assembled a mob of supporters to the D.C. and directly told them, this is what Liz Cheney was saying about lighting the flame, to march to the Capitol. He gave a speech before 1 o'clock, 12.05, I think he started, talking about it. We won the election. Everybody knows it. The other side, the other side knows it. We won a landslide, right? He did that, okay? And despite the violence that occurred because of his words, again, this is the whole plan from the beginning, 
right? From when he started lying to here we are at January 6th. Despite the violence against the police and in the Capitol, he ignored everybody's asking him to stop. I mean, there's even text messages of Don Jr., Cokey Don Jr., Mr. Cokehead, Mr. Creepface, texting Mark Meadows, right? Saying it's, you got to stop this shit. Now, he didn't. He then gave a speech where he called them special. Did tell him to go home, but said, you're very special. And I know how you feel. Yeah, he said, we love you. We love you. To a, 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 what I call a band of marauders, raiders, mob rule, insurrectionists, seditionists, traitors, who soiled, uh, literally defecated Nancy Pelosi's office, but soiled this democracy. They're domestic terrorists. Trump's FBI director said the greatest threat is Islamic terrorism or all of these things the right likes to make bugaboos about. It's white supremacist domestic terrorists. White supremacists. But apart from the racial overtones, and boy, are they there, this was a mob full of also many middle-class people. These were not all Yahoo's folks. These were people in middle-class, upper-middle-class jobs, right? Driven to mouth-frothing rage because a malignant narcissist didn't win an election. They didn't deserve to win. Who mismanaged a pandemic caused the first 400,000 deaths, according to nonpartisan observers. By the end of his two ter- first term, he was impeached twice. And that's where we are. We heard it last night. How could you not be seared by the video, watching that video again? Mike Pence was the acting president, and they wanted to hang him. He had to call for backup. Liz Cheney electrified us. It's not a performance, but it was for 20 million people, because I don't know who's paying attention, guys. And here at Dirty Moderate, We keep saying fight like hell for democracy, fight like hell for democracy, fight like hell for democracy. It was the impetus for the creation of this podcast. It's what my producers and I are committed to. It's what I know you as my listeners believe because we all believe that there's something noble in the self-governing experiment in democracy known as America, the most successful the world's ever known. And we know that it hangs on a precipice and it's at razor's edge. And we know that we got a lot of work to do before these midterms because there's a lot of problems here and it's going to be tough to get people to vote for democracy when there's pain at the pump. Hard for people to understand sedition when they're worried about buying groceries. It puts us at a real crossroads. But what we can do is go to vote.org. I tell you that every week, vote.org, vote.org, vote.org. You need to register. I said it a few times last night. Not only go to vote.org, remember the 101 million people, the roughly one-third of the voting age population that didn't turn out in 2020. Biden won. He could have won bigger for all we know. We need you. We need you. Because you have to vote local. You have to learn to vote local and state. The Democrats let this go since 2010. And a lot of that is why we are where we are. But I'm not going to cry over spilled milk. I'm going to fight for democracy. But you have to register people to vote. Vote, vote, vote. Vote Vote.org. And folks, whatever else, whatever else you may say and may think about what happened on January 6th, it was unlike anything that ever happened. We've been sold alternative facts through Trumpism and that scourge, through gaslighting and lies. It's been called legitimate legitimate public discourse. 30% of the country doesn't think it happened or thinks it was a visit, a nothing. Fox News didn't even cover it. Didn't even go to commercial. Tucker didn't because he knew. He didn't want people to go switch to those other channels, but 20 million people did. That's a good sign. Where does this go? I don't know. 
I don't know. But Trump knew. They all knew. They all knew. Some did try to get him to stop, but they knew. And they were there in all that intervening lame duck period when he started election night. He started when he came out before the results were done and declared himself the winner. Yep. And 100 million, 101 million of Americans, of our fellow Americans, didn't even bother to show up. And here we are. Folks, we're at the crossroads of sedition and democracy. What did Ben Franklin famously say to the person who walked by the Constitutional Convention when they said, this is allegedly the story? Somebody said it's attributed to Ben Franklin. said, what are you guys doing in there? And he said, making a republic, if you can keep it. Anyway, special coverage of the second hearing of the January 6th committee continues with us live on Dirty Moderates Twitter page, Monday, June 13th at 10 a.m. Do not uh, miss us. We will be tweet, live tweeting and we'll be coming to you well throughout all these hearings and beyond because, folks, we made a republic. Big question now, now more than ever, is can we keep it? All right, folks, stay dirty, stay moderate, stay safe, and If you missed the hearings, you can always catch it on the podcast. All right. See you next time.